You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. You can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of sarcasm and also a bit of this. And welcome home. We're glad to have you here. On today's show, we're going to continue in this conversation about really kind of getting back to the roots of like bare bones, starting over, Jesus-y stuff. And today, in that process, in that series that we're going through, we are going to be covering the Beatitudes. Maybe you know what they are. Maybe you don't. But either way, by the end of the show, hopefully, hopefully, you have a better idea about them. And before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, we're there, we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if, you're, if you find yourself just, just having this like question on your heart, like, I like Snarky Faith, but how do I get Snarky Swag? Where do I buy t-shirts and mugs and cups and all that kind of snarky stuff for me to be able to carry my snarkiness out into the snarky world around me? Well, I'm really glad you asked that question because you can head on over to snarkyfaith.com and look for our heading for snarky swag. That'll take you to the snarky store where you can find t-shirts, swag, kind of all you want. So head on over to snarkyfaith.com. So starting out the show, I wanted to talk about something that I found very weird that I kind of see happening in culture and really wanted just to kind of throw it out to you guys to see what your take is on it. Now, I've seen this in the past, but more recently, it kind of riled me up where, where someone from the conservative side of the political spectrum was really kind of pushing a meme and really this idea that like, well, I don't see anyone defending Biden right now. We're all Biden supporters. We're, we're those that, are, that loved Biden, that voted for Biden, that are out trumpeting Biden in this situation. Well, see, here's, here's something I found like, very odd and different. And I feel like this also speaks to spirituality in America. And this is why I bring this up. See, what had happened over the past like four to five years with the whole death cult of Trump was that we saw a lot of people following after a person. Now, for me, I voted for the best person I thought to be able to run this country. Now, has Joe Biden done a great job so far? Eh, he's done okay. Afghanistan, it's an ugly look. It's, I know we need to get out of there, but it is an ugly look. But in all honesty, like, yes, I, I have people that are like, well, you love Joe Biden because you voted for him. I'd love to vote for Joe Biden because he was not Donald Trump. I would have voted for anybody that was not Donald Trump because, again, this isn't about a a cult of personality. This is really about I want functioning adults in government. It's not sexy. It's not exciting. It really has nothing to do with with worship of a cult leader. And see, I I think that that's where a lot of people are, are, are missing the mark on this to where it isn't simply like the cult of 
Biden versus the cult of Trump. No, it's like Biden's an old dude. Was I excited about him? No. Was I excited to get Trump out? Sure. Is Biden doing? Eh, we'll see what he does. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But 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 for me, I just want to see functioning adults doing their jobs in government. Now, speaking of functioning adults that do not do their jobs in government, hey, let's talk about, well, you know what? We should wait until our segment in the news before I go ahead and talk about this. So wait, let's go ahead and start it so we can talk about it. All right, here we go. In the news. That's right. We're in the section of the show where we talk about Christians being stupid in the news because it's that on the news. On the nose. Because it's in the news. So yes. Yes. Our first one coming is this story comes from the friendly atheist over at patheos.com. And this, this, this is some of the stupidest Christian bullshit I have ever heard. That's right. It's really up there with being some of the dumbest Christian bullshit I have ever heard. And this comes to us, this comes to us from Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves. Now, right now, in many of the red states in the South, we see COVID spiking. We see lives being lost. It is a mess. Now, Tate Reeves, who essentially kind of looks like Squidward's boring evil dad, which is kind of, I think that kind of sums up Tate Reeves. Yes, yeah, Squidward's evil dad if he wore a toupee. So that's Tate Reeves. He is the governor of Mississippi. And here is, here's how he is looking at the current COVID crisis in regards to faith. He said this. I'm often asked by some of my friends on the other side of the aisle about COVID. And why does it seem like folks in Mississippi and maybe the Mid-South are a little less scared, shall we say? Well, when you believe in eternal life, when you believe that living on this earth is but a blip on the screen, then you don't have to be so scared of things. So yes, oh, it's so great. It's so great that this Christianity just tells him just to say F it to everything. It doesn't really matter. We're going to die anyway. So what's it all matter? I mean, in the end, we're all going to die. You might as well be now. <laughs> I mean, it's fashionable. COVID's in fashion. We might. This is ridiculous. And it's such a ridiculous cop-out, but also kind of an abuse of faith in how he's laying this out here. Yeah, yeah. In a state where they're banning masks and this is your answer? That, yeah, well, if you've got salvation in Jesus, life doesn't really matter anymore, sucker. So, <laughs> everyone, please leave Mississippi. I'm sure there are fine spots in Mississippi. It was pointed out to me last week that I took a pot shot at Kentucky. Well, guess what, Bill? I used to live in Kentucky, so I feel like I'm, I can take pot shots out. And I can take pot shots in Mississippi of being one of the armpits of the South, the other one being Arkansas. Are there beautiful places in Mississippi and Arkansas? Absolutely. Do I have family that lives in Mississippi that really embodies the worst of Christianity in Mississippi? Absolutely. So, <laughs> oh, I love the South. I love the South. I love parts of the South is how I'll put it there. So, yeah, yeah. A big fat screw you to Tate Reeves. Really, really. Now, this next story that we have is coming to us from the coming to us from Christianity Today. And all I'm going to say is this story disturbs me for no other reason besides the fact that it's weird. 
And as many things in this article by Daniel Silman, the title spoils it all. Christianity Today. Here's the article. One out of three new guitars are purchased for worship music. That's it. You don't even need to read the article. Nope, 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 no. I'm kidding. But yes, Fender, here's, I'll quote the article, Fender Music Instruments Corporation sold a record number of guitars in 2020, driven in part by people focused to stay at home during the pandemic. The company calculates that nearly a third of those new musical purchases were purchased by people who play and praise and worship bands. Now, I understand praise and worship happens, but somehow I'm kind of like, really, really music in America that like a third of the guitars are being bought for worship? I don't know why that just does not sit very well with me. Maybe it says something about me. Maybe it says something about church. Maybe it says something about my guitars or Christianity. Today. I don't know. I'm just saying I kind of found it weird and it disturbed me a bit. It disturbed me. You guys have answers as to why it disturbed me in my soul? Questions at snarkyfaith.com. You can send me the answer. You can be my own psychiatrist. Tell me, tell me what is going on in the depths of my soul. Also, if you want to comment, you can... Also, hop on over to our Facebook page, look up Snarky Faith on Facebook, and interact about this. Seriously, if there's something wrong with me, tell me where there's a malignancy on my faith. Oh! <laughs> but I'm here every week. I'm here every week trying to defend Jesus. I swear to it. I swear. I defend Jesus against the Christian crazy, those out there that, that, that are meant to to take the, the name of Jesus and find ways to profit off it. They may call themselves profit, but they only care about money. And yes, that is the perfect segue to lead us into our beloved section here of the week called The Christian Crazy, where we highlight the choices, cuts of Christian nuts, the worst of Christianity. It's The Christian Crazy. Here we go. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. Now, you heard me say at the top of the hour that we're going to be talking a lot about Beatitudes today. So what we're going to work on here, we're going to be compacted. We're going to compact in the Christian crazy, just the crazy. We're going to distill it. We're going to make sure it's as crazy as possible because, you know, we got to get rid of this attitude before we get to the Beatitudes. That doesn't even rhyme. That doesn't even rhyme. That's sad. That's just sad. But speaking about terribleness within Christianity, especially within the mouthpieces of the faith, let's go ahead, because we've got two. We've got two that are beautiful and wonderful. One of them is just kind of scratch your head, bizarre weirdo, which I think is a good place just to start out here. Because again, the majority of the show we're talking about today is, is the ways of Jesus, the Beatitudes. What, what, what does the kingdom of heaven look like? This is not the kingdom of heaven. This is Robin Bullock talking about Jesus and Jello. I'm not really sure what any of this has to do with faith, but again, Robin viewed God in heaven. And somehow, him viewing God in heaven in this way really will help your faith. It'll help you to grow. It'll help you to serve your neighbor better and walk out. No, it won't at all. Nope, 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 nope. Nope, it, nope, it won't. Nope. It's just plain insanity. So here's Robin Bullock. I remember one time, you know, I've been to heaven in different throne rooms uh, a few times. And, and every time I was in a throne room, he has different throne rooms for different things. I watched him create the world one time. Wow. It was the most amazing thing you've ever seen. 
And when you got to the end of it, but the white throne, it's set up on about seven tiers. And, and when you look down at it, it was massive. It was a massive thing. And it was inside this cube of like uh, gelatin. It was like clear gelatin. And it went around in a square around him and his whole throne. You could see his hair. You could see the outline of it inside that. And his beard. He's watching all of this. And his eyes full of fire. And he's just watching. And inside this cube of gelatin, it was clear like. It was pure energy. It was power. It was just like electricity alive inside this cube. When you see him like that. It, that cube had to be around him. There was too much power coming out of him. It had to be there. What? Like the throne room of God is like, is full of, of jello. Like, what is this? Like double dare? What, what is, I don't even understand this. Like, like, could we have even picked a, a, a better, a better bad dessert food? Like maybe, maybe, maybe God is contained in a cube of ambrosia, right? Or something else that maybe need cool whip on top right that's that's the lord that's the lord yeah okay why why when these guys like prophesy and see stuff it's always like the ugliest stuff that you've ever heard of oh he's got a throne but it's a seven tier throne wink get it because seven is a biblical number and it's really big so bigger is always better oh man yeah, lack of imagination there. Lack of imagination there, Robin Bullock. Seriously, seriously. But you know what? <laughs> if you're looking for prophets with a lack of imagination, we should go ahead and flip-flop over to Hank Kuhneman. Or maybe as Hank's going to put it, he had an idea. Maybe it's a prophetic idea. Instead of flip-flop, it's actually flop-flip. And this is Hank talking about that prophetically during a Sunday morning message. Yes, because that makes sense. It doesn't. Hank? But watch, for you have heard the saying, flip, flop. But I speak to you this day, flop, flip. You say, what do you mean? I speak flop, flip, because the agenda of hell and those who have agreed and thought that they could steal this land through your election and steal the future from your children, it shall flop. And then watch what shall arise. Whistleblowers after whistleblowers. They shall not only see that their agenda has flopped, they will begin to flip. And God says there will be a turning of my hand and a turning of their, of their mouths. And they will speak loudly and they will turn on one another and they will expose one another to save what they would think their own future. Watch for the great flip. And the Lord says when you see this, 
it will flip in this nation too. Hank, you know what also goes flop, flip, or flip, flop? An impotent person. <laughs> really kind of sounds like your faith right now because this, this is stupid. And seriously, why does God in these prophecies, why does God always kind of speak slash like caveman slash KJV version? Like, wh wh how is God like that? Like, I shall speak flop, flip, now flip, flop. Urgh, I am good God. I bring fire. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Even the fact of what does this have to do with Jesus? Flop, flip, flip, flop. Kingdom of God, anything? Helping people, anything? Flop, flip, flip. No, none of, none of it does. Jello God doesn't really do that either. Yes. So why do we bring this up? Well, that's what we're all about here on Snarky Faith. We're trying to be able to refocus this crazy BS because none of this has to do with Christianity. None of this has to do with the ways of Jesus or the kingdom of God. None, none, none. Zero. These are just grifters doing what they do. But we'll have none of that because... That's what we do here on the show called Snarky Faith, because we're against the liars, posers, celebrities, goons, quacks, and mooks of the faith. I've had enough of them, and I'm pretty sure if you're here, you have too. We're tired of it, and we want to kind of recapture our faith and send it back in the direction that Jesus started it in. In order for us to do that, we need to look past these train wrecks of the faith and look towards where it all began, where it all started. And that's, that's how we can begin to see where it's supposed to go. So let's go back so we can move forward in the right way. So moving along to our main story. Our main story actually is a continuation of last week's conversation. We're in the midst of going through a series that really is looking deeper into the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. Why are we looking into that? Well, we wanted to, to kind of get back to the basics and really begin to look at what are the ethics and ways of Jesus. Like, how, how has that been lost in the church? How have we lost a lot of what Jesus was after? And how do we recapture that? How do we regain that? And so last week, part of the conversation we had, and, and beginning back in the beginning, was really talking about the setup to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus was at currently, and what led him to really begin to preach what he's preaching here. Now, for you guys to kind of give me, a, for you to have a bit of a summary, uh, Jesus has been preaching and teaching and going from city to city. Crowds begin to follow him because he's healing people, and people like this, this alternative view towards life that he's preaching. We get to a place where, guess what? It's a mountain. <laughs> There's a mount, and Jesus begins to preach there. So last week we had covered Matthew 4, 23 through 5, 2. This week we're going to be covering Matthew, Matthew 5, 3 through 12, and we're, which is formally called the Beatitudes. So let's go ahead and begin to unpack what those are. Now, I'll go ahead and just read this to you. This, this is a section that you may have heard many times before, but we're going to try to look at this with new eyes. That's the goal here. So uh, this is Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And lastly, verse 11, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in, uh, the reward is great in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so we, we first of all, we're hopping into this. This is a famous section called the Beatitudes with a whole lot of blessed are. Blessed, 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 blessed. So why do the Beatitudes matter? Let's hop in on those. Let's look deeper. And also, just a reminder, for a lot of the series, I'm going to be hopping in and out of the book Taking Jesus at His Word by Addison Hodges Hart. I'm also jumping around a little bit in Making All Things New by Henry Nouwen and Finding Our Way Again by Brian McLaren. I'll be kind of bouncing around those and also taking you guys through a little bit of commentary. So uh, when we begin to talk about Beatitudes, it's something, if you've been around the church, you've heard these this before, but what the heck does it mean? Well, um, if we really begin to look at what is a Beatitude, well, in Latin, it, it, was, it was seen as a Beatitude, was, it was a pronouncement of, of, uh, on certain people in a privileged circumstance or setting. Okay, so so in one part, it's going to be a pronouncement, but yet we're also going to be diving into uh, a bit of wisdom passages as to what are some of the ethics and ways of the kingdom of God. Okay, so when we look to the Greek, when we look to the Greek, when they they are using the word that we're going to be translated to meaning blessed here, what that that is meaning, it's, it's meaning happy, but it's also tying that word to being fortunate, not fortunate as being necessarily uh, rich as in fortune, but fortunate as in uh, blessed or, or, or living a type of blessed existence. So it's, it's not just I'm happy, but I'm happy in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that I live my existence, if that makes sense. And in here, Jesus, Jesus often takes different roles when he's speaking. Oftentimes he speaks as a teacher. Uh, oftentimes he will speak from the perspective of what God says about certain scriptures, but here Jesus is really acting like a prophet. And, and what he's doing with these pronouncements, with these beatitudes here, he is prophetically, now, now we always talk about the, the prophets of God that I make fun of here, <laughs> when I mean the modern day prophets of God. Uh, it's not prophetic in the way that they look at it. This is more of a pronouncement of what is unfolding now. Like, what is the coming reality of what is happening now? Now, you may say, yes, 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 that's what they all do. This is a bit different. The, the prophets that we have in the Christian crazy, those, those asshats are really just feeding, feeding their flock with, let's see, so if a pastor's job would be to nourish his flock with the <laughs> most spiritual and, and, uh, and tasty of all nourishments. It would be like giving them their, their veggies. They're, they're eating a healthy diet here. That would be, that should be like what the prophets should be. Now, these prophets, these modern day prophets of God really are kind of like what your grandparents ever do. If they ever take your kids out, if you've ever had that. So we're like, I know for us, it was always like 
teach the kids to eat healthy, do all of this. They visit the grandparents and it's sweets, ice cream. I'm going to throw up on the way home from grandma's house. That kind of a thing. So these prophets nowadays, they really just lie essentially to make money or lie to make their followers happy. Okay. This is not the kind of thing that Jesus is doing here when I say prophecy. Jesus is talking about a, a coming reality, something that, that, is, that is unfolding in front of us. And, and mentioning these, these Beatitudes, there are nine of them. So these are nine pronouncements of a coming reality. So, so we're going to connect those two. So these, yes, yeah, so each of these, they're going to have an aspect of blessing, there's going to be an aspect of character, what the people are like that are in this specific group, and then a promise attached to it. So blessing, character, promise. We're going to see those as they go. There are nine of them. And, and what they are trying to do here, what I really think what Jesus is trying to get across here is he is speaking here and he's declaring upon the blessedness of those that are living in and with God's community in and amongst other people. Because there's this whole idea of the kingdom of God that, that we have been talking about for the past couple of weeks. And Jesus is very keen to lean in on this towards the beginning of this large sermon of teachings that, that, that has been compiled here. So again, a lot of this is unfolding a vision for what is to come. What's happening now and what is to come. We got that? We got that? We see where Jesus is doing this. Okay, okay. So now let's go through each of these nine and talk about what is he getting at, who is he talking about, and what is supposed to happen. Or as Addison Hodges Hart puts it, the blessings of Jesus have to do with the character, and character has to do with both what one is becoming and what one is putting into practice. It has to do with the inner life and the outer one. It draws us both interiority and right external conduct. Contemplation and action, mysticism and pragmatism, neither end of the pole is neglect. Both the inner and the outer aspects of the person are embraced in, a, in the simple words of Jesus. So with that, let's go ahead and hop in. Got it? Okay. So we'll start, we'll start up with verse three. Okay, so in verse three, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've heard a lot of different sermons preached about what does it mean to be poor in the spirit, but from, <laughs> from seminary to reading a bunch of different commentaries to reading a bunch of different books about this today, I, what I've kind of come to the conclusion, or other conclusions that I think that I or trust are, are true to the nature of Christ here, to be poor in the spirit really means to live lives that are dependent upon God. Oftentimes that can mean monetarily poor, but really, really what we're trying to get at here is, is, is blessed are those who put their security in God. Now, this isn't simply just about dollars and cents, but this is really talking about living a life of like servitude and humility, like the humble servant, like what God is trying to get here again, blessed are these people. Why? Well, there's is the kingdom of heaven. And again, the kingdom of heaven is this whole idea that Jesus is unfolding. This is, this is happening right now in their present, and it's continuing into the future. The idea that it continues onward today. So those, so those, so those that are part of this kingdom of heaven, they're those that, that know to trust in God 
But knowing that that kind of trust in God calls us to serve and be reliant upon others. I also think it's fair to throw in a dig against materialism here with what Jesus is getting at. Uh, there's, there's various scriptures that are talking about worry and about putting our, casting our worries upon God. Who will provide for you? Put your worries upon God. Jesus, Jesus does this at several other times as well, too. So this idea that we are trusting on our community, that we are trusting on God, puts us in a very, very humble space. And in that humble space, it gives us, it puts us at a better posture to encounter and experience and roll out the kingdom of God. Or as Hodges Hart puts it, uh, to be poor in spirit means we realize that we all depend on others, on creation around us, and ultimately on God. So, very simple put. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who are humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is inhabited by selfless people who walk with humility and realize that they're all in this together and need others and God to survive. So it is a vulnerable, but also a very humble and empowering place to be. Now, moving to the next one, let's go to this one. Uh, verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, again, let's remind ourselves, who is Jesus's crowd? Who is his audience here? Well, it's going to be pre predominantly a Jewish audience that he's speaking here towards. Will there be religious people around there? Sure, but they're mainly going to be regular, ordinary people that are seeking something uh, from Jesus. They, they want to see miracles. They want something to happen for themselves. They want to hear a fresh teaching. They are there and they are hungry. But also, me mentioning the fact that they are very uh, they are very Jewish <laughs> in their Jewishness and in their thinking process here, we have to also understand that Jesus is, is laying out a lament here, much like the book of Lamentations. So Jesus is, is really lamenting the current situation, saying God's people, God's people, the Jews who are living in the shadow of the empire of the Roman government, right? They, they, their identity is tied in being God's people. And they know that they're supposed to be walking out whatever God's will is on this earth. But again, they're in a situation where life isn't where they want it to be. Life hasn't been the way they want it to be for a long time. Because again, they have been occupied by many different occupying forces up until this point. But this again, this is a lament that, that, that harkens back to a lot of what happens throughout the Old Testament. Where people are lamenting and calling out to God. They're, they're calling for this. And God wanting them to be able to realize that he hears their calls. That he hears their calls. Because blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So in the midst of life being hard, have you been in those situations that somehow like vacillate between melancholy and tragedy in life? I think this is also speaking to the truth of life here, the nitty gritty of life, that life is hard, but we should know that we are not alone in this. That when we mourn, we mourn together. We mourn in a history of, of people that are mourning for the way that things should be because they are not as they should be yet. And we are in those places of mourning as we cry out for more. Moving to next, to verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, for these folks that will inherit the earth, we hear meek, we think meekness, which we also can put very close uh, to weakness, 
but translated, this is not really what we're going after here. What really translates better to being gentle, even-tempered, or not easily angered, which really changes this, right? Oftentimes we think of meek as like the weak people that, that can't help themselves. No, no, these are people that are gentle and even-tempered because who will inherit the earth? Oh, the meek will. Those that aren't driven by anger, those that aren't driven by pride or by wrath, those that are even-tempered, that can see what is. So do you see how we're building on this? So we're, we're talking about people that, that are poor in spirit, people that know where they stand in the world. Uh, we're also talking about people that have mourned, that have hurt. Now we're talking about people that are even-tempered. And so we're seeing these are the type of characteristics that will embody the kingdom of God. These are the type of things that move the kingdom forward. These are values. And using meek in the context of what Jesus is getting at here, you know what the opposite of meekness is, kind of? Uh, I would say revenge. So this, this idea that, that the kingdom of God, that the earth will be blessed by people that, are, that do not seek revenge, but that seek even-handedness and even-temperedness. Moving to six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This echoing the others, I feel like is, 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 is painting a wider picture the further we go through here, right? When I hear righteousness, what that screams to me in this, in this section here is those who thirst for justice. Those who thirst for justice in this world <laughs> that as we've lived in it, we know that this world is not often just. We know that good guys get squashed. We know that the power is held by those who are typically selfish and prideful and at the end of the day, cruel. And this is a very different call here because as we're seeing the posture of these people that embody the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, this, this thirst, this desire for justice to be seen is something that is very, very much in the DNA of the Old Testament. And the people of God at this time, too, would be hearing this. The Israelites, the Jews at this time, would be hearing this specific message about this call to justice. And for those that seek justice, what happens? They'll be satisfied. It doesn't mean they're going to be fully fulfilled. It doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. But it says in the end that they will be satisfied. And, and, and that just hearkens in my heart to all the injustices that we've seen, like in our country alone. We've seen police brutality. We've seen, we see economic disparity. We see people that are incarcerated who've done nothing wrong. But what I believe that Jesus is hitting at here is, do not get weary of doing good. Continue to fight the good fight because justice will prevail. Maybe not in the way we want it to, maybe not in the second that we want it to, but Jesus promises if we walk in that, man, in that manner, in that way, we will find satisfaction. We'll be satisfied within that. Now, the next one we have here, verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And I love how Jesus chases justice with mercy, meaning that as we seek justice, 
with one hand, we also must approach it with mercy in the other hand. Because to, to, to be driven strictly by justice can make us very harsh. It can make us very judgmental. It can make us look at people in a way where we're putting ourselves higher than they are. But again, we've already seen this, this call to meekness, this, this, this call to humility. So this thing, seek justice, but also act merciful. And, and I love, I love how, 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 how Christ lays this out, saying that those that give mercy will also be given mercy. So those that give it will receive it as their gift. And, and when we talk about being merciful, this isn't simply just being kind to others this isn't simply, which, which I'm sorry, no, it is being kind. It is being merciful to others. But this also just means like reaching out and helping people in need. It could be in hunger. It could be in sickness. It could be in calamity. It's, it's us also finding ways to be able to reach out and help those that need help, regardless of their situation. So, so we kind of have the double-edged sword there of justice and mercy. And then that leads us, that leads us to this. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So yes, purity. You may hear purity and think of purity culture and all sorts of other wonky ways that we have gone and made purity dirty, really within the church. We've actually made purity dirty. And in many cases and scenarios, also very harmful and uh, triggering. But no, no, what we're talking about here with purity of heart, sure, impure thoughts, that's part of this, but I think that's missing the larger perspective here. It's really having a singular vision because what, what, what is, what, what is, okay, so, so the, just do this again. Let, let's watch. Blessed are the pure in heart for what? What they will see God. So for us to be able to see and experience God in the world around us, we need to be able to have a, a purity of heart. Now, what does that look like? What is having a purity of heart? Well, yes, one part, probably not having impure thoughts and things of that nature. But no, what they're really getting at is seeing the importance of God in the world around us. It's really having an undivided heart in your pursuit of God. It's really seeking the kingdom of God and helping to manifest it here on earth. It's having a clear vision and a clear focus here is really what they're getting at. I mean, in many ways, we've seen this from the Old Testament where the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy, calls us to, you know, to, to have only faith in one God, in this, this one God and one heart. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's, it, it's echoing the same idea. It's this love of God, and to love God, to know God, means you're also embodying these other things, right? Justice, mercy, meekness. We're, we're, we're seeing this, this humility, this, this posture. So all of these are kind of coming together like a big fat sandwich. <laughs> we're packing them all in and we're getting the flavor from all of them. Why? Because these beatitudes, they're really just showing you this is the ethics of the kingdom of God. As we manifest this in the world around us, this is what it shall look like. And it shall be beautiful. And it shall look nothing like the corporate church in America today. That's not in the Bible, but when we balance it out, nah, I'm not really seeing a whole lot of the, the, what we've talked about so far walk, walked out in modern-day American Christianity. Okay, so blessed is the pure in heart, for they will see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So through this, we've talked about being even-handed. We've talked about seeking justice. We've talked about giving mercy. We've talked about being, uh, having the mentality and the posture of being a servant, about being a person that, that mourns the, the losses 
in our lives appropriately because it just ends up humbling us and showing us a different way. And now we get to this, blessed are the peacemakers. So if we're able to do all these, these are, I feel like they're building on each other here. So the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So what does it mean for us to be called the children of God? What, do, what is the part of us? What do we need to embody? Well, we need to be peacemakers. We need to be peacemakers. And it is a very, very difficult thing in this world to be peacemakers, especially on a show where I call people out all the time. You may say that that does not sound very much like a peacemaker. And in certain regards, you'd be absolutely right. But peace in this scenario that Jesus is talking about here, when we're talking about peace, this isn't just this, this, this uh, blanket pacifism to where we're just like, it's all about peace. I don't want to rock the boat or do anything. No, because real peace, real peace that has been worked out is, is, is one that is hard fought which sounds funny that I'm saying to have peace, it, is, it, it, it takes a journey to fight for peace. What I mean by that is that real peacemaking usually is also going to include reconciliation. Forgiveness, of course. Forgiveness is easy. Forgiveness is, is simply just me saying, I don't want to have these bad feelings against you who have done something to me. I forgive you in my own self. Now, I can forgive you but never be reconciled to you. Forgiveness is, 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 is a thing that I do on my own. It's a very personal thing. But reconciliation is a very you and me thing. Now, for us to reconcile, it's not just saying I'm sorry. It's for us working out what is between us. And I know I may be sounding like a broken record, but what is the way that we make peace? How do we reconcile with others? Well, I think it has to do with humility. <laughs> I think it has to do with being people that have that have mourned and been through hardship in life. It's it's those that want justice, it's woes that want mercy, it's those that want to help others and give others help whether they deserve it or not. So this whole idea of the kingdom of God, we are we are we are moving towards a crescendo here of of what this is about. Now we hit verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're circling back again. Who is the kingdom of heaven earlier? Oh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now we're kind of getting a bit of an end cap here, even though we're not done. And, and 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, so we've got two sets of people who have the kingdom of heaven. How can they, how can these two parties both have it? Oh, because we're talking about the same person. Now, I know when I mentioned people being persecuted, that's when so many Christians get a hard on. American Christianity, I've said this before, I'll say it again, ha has something whacked out and messed up about persecution, because somehow when they read about people being persecuted in the Bible, they get super spiritually horny. It is ridiculous. And they have morphed, especially like with conservatives, they've morphed into this idea that, that them going around and being asses to everybody, them going around and being nasty and disgusting, horrible, judgmental creatures to other people on this planet, and then people not treating them well after they're asses to people on this earth, they call that persecution. 
That is not persecution. Those are just called consequences for being an asshole. It's not really persecution. It's not. You're just being an insensitive jerk that does not have empathy and cannot read the room. None of that behavior will ever bring people closer to God. You will actually push people further away from God. That's what that fake Christian persecution is all about. This, 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 what Jesus is getting at here, he's getting at people that are unjustly persecuted because of their commitment to righteousness. Not rightness. Not, I know the Bible and I know what's right and I'm going to push it. I'm going to push it through. No, no. Righteousness for truth, for goodness. So people that are persecuted for doing the right thing. So we see that. Okay. So we see in the beginning, those that are humble and meek inherit the kingdom of God. Those that have been beaten up trying to do the right thing. Those are also blessed. So we have this. Jesus is speaking in third person for all of these up until this point. And then, then, then we get to number 11. He's going to speak. He's going to shift a bit. Now listen to this, right? We're going to go to second person. Blessed are you, okay? Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is simply a call to keep doing good. If you are doing good and people are pressing you and trying to get you to stop, keep doing what's good. Keep healing creation. Keep helping those that need help. That is the call. That is a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. That, that, that is all that this is about. It's all about the fact that the kingdom of heaven is in front of you. It's rolling out. It's happening. Get on board. Be a part of this. And what, what, what gets me about all of this, because this gets very like end timesy when we talk about eschatology. Eschatology meaning like, well, what happens in the end? What happens in the future? Well, Jesus is, in a certain sense, speaking, you know, eschatologically here. What he's speaking about this, he's speaking about things that are becoming. But usually when I talk about, when we hear people preach about like uh, the future and end times, they're talking about something that is, it's, it's a point in history forward. No, I love this idea that the kingdom of God is here now and it's unfolding. So there's, there's a present reality and there's a becoming nature towards that. Like we are becoming something, we are carrying something. And hard times may befail us, but we are called to keep doing good. Because in the end, we may not see it, but we will continue to walk out the very teachings that Jesus told us to walk out. And Jesus even says this toward, towards the end of the section here, says in 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Now, I also think that modern speakers, the way we, we look at this, we're going to think about heaven, the afterlife, everything. But what if we just called this? We've called this the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is being. Jesus has been saying this. Behold, the kingdom of God is here and now. So again, if it's unfolding, it's now. So as you're walking this out, you are going to taste these fruits as you go into that place. 
or as you enter into that space, as you experience this, as you walk this out with others, you will go through these things. So these blessings are not meant for heaven and the hereafter. They're now. They're now. This is a very real part that Jesus was speaking many, 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 many years ago to these people. He was saying, behold, this is what is unfolding. This is what matters. And in the same way, we're here more than 2,000 years later, we're still part of this unfolding. We're still part of this that is becoming. This isn't something that was just dead and gone. This isn't something that, that, that ceased to exist back then. This is a thing that Jesus continues to put this in our hands. For you to be called the children of God, for you to be part of this kingdom of heaven, this is what you need to be about. This is your posture. This is your vision. This is where you put your energy. How much of this do we feel like is being taught in modern day Christendom? I, I don't think so. I, I think when we talk about things like the Beatitudes, we talk about them in, in more like lofty theological terms that are, that are more just abstractions as, as opposed to being a way to walk this thing out in reality. We're able to say, oh, oh, those are kind of spiritual things that Jesus is saying. Those aren't tangible things. But Christ is telling us, this is tangibly what you're supposed to do right now. Right now. And guess what? The future's happening, so that means you got to do it tomorrow. And the future's happening when? The next tomorrow, and the next tomorrow, and the next tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. That's how this thing evolves. That's how this thing happens. We walk it out. We continue to walk it out in our everyday life as we move through this. And it's very hard. It is very hard for us to embrace a lot of this. It is very hard for us to be able to, to latch onto this because we, for the longest time, have been told that really our faith is only wrapped up in believing the right things, not in doing the right things, meaning that there is a connection between belief and action. And it's not simply just about belief. It has to be both. I have to be consciously walking out these things here. Now, I mentioned earlier um, that uh, we're also talking about making all things new from Henry Nouwen. So speaking somewhat to this, uh, Henry Nouwen says this, Jesus asks us to move our hearts to the center where all other things fall into place. Well, what is the center? Jesus calls it the kingdom, the kingdom of his father. For us, the 20th century, 21st century, I guess, uh, may, <laughs> this may not have much meaning. Kings and kingdoms do not play an important role in our daily life. But only when we understand Jesus' words as an urgent call to make the life of God's spirit our priority, we can see better what's at stake. A heart set on the kingdom, on the Father's kingdom, is also a heart set on the spiritual life. To set our hearts on the kingdom, therefore, means to make the life of the Spirit within and among us the center of all we think, say, and do. And he continues on saying this. This eternal community is what he's talking about, this kingdom of God, this eternal community of love, is the center and source of the spiritual life, a life of uninterrupted attentiveness to the Father in the spirit of love. 
It is from this life that Jesus' ministry grows. His eating and fasting, his praying and acting, his traveling, his, his resting, his preaching and teaching, his exercising and healing were all done in the spirit of love. We will never understand the full meaning of Jesus' richly varied ministry unless we see how many things are rooted in one thing, listening to the Father in the intimacy of perfect love. And when we see this, we will also realize that the goal of Jesus' ministry is nothing less than to bring us into this most intimate community. Now, we've talked a lot about ideas, and we'll be hitting on more of ideas of practice. How do we walk this out in the coming weeks? But, but as we've seen, and as we're kind of trying to journey through this, I'm, I'm seeing a re, real recentering of what we are called to do here. And, and these are teachings that can easily be embraced or cast aside. And again, like Jesus always does, there is no coercion. There is no forced into this. There's nothing that forces into this. But it is a call to live better, to live different, and to embrace something that does not look like the empire of capitalism and materialism and authority and patriarchy that we see that rules the world today. And just as audacious and radical as it was years ago when Jesus told these people, none of this stuff matters. It's just as audacious today. Just as he said, this kingdom that runs the world around you, this Rome, it's just the same as saying, hey, this U.S. government that runs things around us. Hey, these big corporations run things around us. They'll tell you what their systems are. Their systems are based on power. But all they do is take and crush and take and crush. Whereas the kingdom of God gives and it nourishes and it heals and it loves. And that is the choice that we've been given back then. It's a choice that we continue to be given today. Whether we will hold on to it and walk it into the future that is unfolding before us, or we won't. The choice is up to you. But lastly, I'll leave you with the words of Brian McLaren speaking about the kingdom of God. He said this, By a new kingdom, Jesus meant a new way of life, a new arrangement, a new set of values, a new order, and a new array of priorities and commitments, a new vision of peace and how to achieve it. It was, in short, a new way that called for new practices. For example, instead of the practice of loving friends and hating enemies, it's a new way that called people to the practice of loving enemies as if they were friends. Instead of hungering for thirst, hungering and thirsting for, for good food and drink, it called them to practice hungering and thirsting for justice. Instead of focusing on people's attention, on fashions and styles of clothing, it focused people's attentions on gratitude for the simple gifts of life. Instead of accommodating to the common male desire to use females and discard them, it called each man to celibacy, or to loving marital fidelity in thought as well as action. It is the kingdom of God. It was Jesus' big idea, and it's our big idea that's still something that moves us and drives us today.
Well, that's all I've got this week. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps to get the word out to new listeners. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can hit me up at questions at snarkyfaith.com. But thank you for being a part of the show week after week. I appreciate you, and I appreciate your attention and your ears. Um, as I release you into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. Go out and be a blessing and live into the blessings that we have heard from the Beatitudes. Go and make a difference in a way that only you can. So go and live blessed. That's all I got this week. I'm out of here. Peace. <laughs>